0: Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. we got a great show for you guys today. We're going to go over some news and notes from the last week. We're going to go over Matt's top hitting breakouts. And we're going to go over a few more college names of players you should note for first year player drafts. But first, let's bring in Matt. Matt, how are you doing? What's going on, buddy? We have a big trade we're going to talk about just here in a
1: minute i am Mm -hmm. very upset about it and other than that man just staying busy you know baby's coming six months now so uh that's crazy tightening everything up
0: boy or girl on the air
1: uh we'll find out we should actually find out by wednesday okay We, we have some idea but i want the data to come back solidified
0: okay all right that's fair that's fair all right, um, let's just get right into it because we got a lot to talk about. Big news broke when we were recording last week, and that's was Reese Hoskins signing a two-year, $34 million deal with our Milwaukee Brewers. First base is now locked up for us. And I think the kicker for me is that we stole him from the Chicago Cubs. They <laughs> seem to be like the leaders for signing Reese Hoskins, but instead he goes to the Milwaukee Brewers. What's your first initial reaction to this?
1: Well, yeah, I think you're right. I think Chicago was a, a good landing spot for him as well. The loss of Bellinger, the addition of Hoskins would have, in a way, still kept a power bat and on base percentage leader in that lineup. Now that's in Milwaukee. And when we projected this Brewers lineup before this signing, there were a lot of question marks. You have Yelich, who has been inconsistent over the last four years. You have the addition of Jackson Churio, presumably, to the lineup. We don't know how he's going to play at the major leagues since he's only had a very brief time at AAA. And then you're pairing together more defensive first outfielders Sal Relic, Garrett Mitchell. Um, you know, there are question marks with both of their all- offensive profiles as well. And then, you know, Joey Weimer on the bench against lefties is nice, but. It wasn't a lineup that really got you scared. I think the addition of Hoskins is really setting a great foundation for these hitters that the Brewers are developing. We talked about Brock Wilkin last week, a uh, very similar profile. I think, you know, what Wilkin probably turns into is Reese Hoskins. If we're, if we're lucky, maybe a little bit better average, but I think the profile is similar. So that addition is huge. Now the really big question mark for Milwaukee will be what's going on at third base, you know, I would assume they're keeping Willie Adamas and Corbin Burns now. If you're going to spend money, it looks like they're trying to compete. But overall, I think this is a massive win for the Brewers lineup. And I think for fantasy owners and uh, those that may be going into you know, one-year drafts, redraft leagues, Hoskins is an awesome addition now because we all know that ballpark is home run friendly. And Hoskins' numbers, even though it was only short sample size, I want to say seven or nine games, has been very productive with an American
0: family field. I have a hot take for you. I think the brewers are not done. And I think we go and get Matt Chapman to fill our third base. I don't like it, but I think. I
1: know, no, no. I love it. If you can get him on a two year deal, right? Yeah. Like resurge your,
0: yeah. Give your career resurgence. Give your career resurgence. Yeah. I mean, you're playing, he didn't have the greatest season. I mean, he started out hot and then he cooled off and. Going to Milwaukee would give him great chances to show his power output at American Family Field, and also you play in a division with the Chicago Cubs and Cincinnati Reds that also have great ballparks, so I think that would benefit him in the power department for sure.
1: Even a one-year, so Hoskins is a one-year with a player option, so I'm really looking at Hoskins as a one-year deal because I can't expect him to produce anything but above league average and, you know, re-entering free agency next right. year. If you do the same thing with Chapman, you have a stellar infield defense now with presumably Terang, mm-hmm. um, Chapman being a platinum gold, platinum glove winner, right? The best in the league. And Adamus being above average. And then Hoskins, I, I'd i have to go back on the numbers, but I'd have, to, I'd have to imagine he's either league average or above league average. The ACL obviously plays into that, but I think he'll be fine. The only question mark for me would be if they sign Chapman because he wants to test the market again next year is what happens to Tyler Black, right? I mean, that's the name that we've really been floating out there and hearing in the industry is the guy that probably makes the, in a prospect impact outside of Cheerio this year. What do you think Tyler Black I shakes out for them?
0: I don't think he's ready. I think you keep him at AAA, give him some seasoning. I mean, he can shine. I mean, you look at what Connor Norby do, did for the Baltimore Orioles. Tyler Black could be this year's Connor Norby just stuck at AAA because we don't have a spot for him, but then again, who knows? The Brewers might be done, so we'll have to wait and see, but that's my little hot take, maybe optimistic view as a Brewers fan that now that it looks like we are not selling, let's move on to the biggest news. And I know you've been chomping at the bit to talk about this and that is the Seattle Mariners trade with the Minnesota twins. The Seattle Mariners get Jorge Polanco the Minnesota Twins get Gabriel Gonzalez, Darren Bowen, Anthony Di Scalfani, and Justin Topa. I think the big blue chip piece is Gabriel Gonzalez, a top 100 prospect, outfielder, um, highly regarded by you and me. We both like him, but also the Mariners have a need. They're looking to compete. Jorge Polanco solidifies that second base for them. I mean, I don't think the Mariners are done. We've got another trade rumor coming down in a little bit here, but what's your initial thought on Gabriel Gonzalez for Jorge Polanco?
1: Yeah, I absolutely hate it. Um, I'm still really piecing together my finalized top 100. I mean, I'm trying to do a top 1200 because we're crazy. I'm crazy. I have Gabriel Gonzalez right below Drew Gilbert uh, coming in at 17th in the outfield prospects, but we've talked about this all off season. You know, Outfield depth right now in redraft leagues is really shallow. In dynasty leagues, even at the major league level, it's shallow because you have these names like Lankford, Churio, Cruz, uh, Evan Carter, James Wood, Roman Anthony, Walker Jenkins, you know, Jason Dominguez, list goes on, that are all going to be pushing that envelope within the next year or two years for guys like Walker Jenkins. the the large majority of these guys are double or triple a Victor Scott's that name that we talked about last week. So Gonzalez is going to jump this rank real quick. And he's already within my top 100. I think we're talking about a guy in a year from now that is easily entrenched in the top 10 of outfield rankings, probably the top seven just based off promotions that we can expect. And you're going to give that away for Jorge Polanco, who has a salary above league average attached to him, as well as just being kind of a replacement level above mightily above replacement level player. I despise this trade. I don't know what they were thinking. Now I value prospects higher than most, but this trade to me is a massive F for the Mariners.
0: I I don't know if I would go that bad to say he's an F Jorge Polanco is an above average second baseman. Um, Gabriel Gonzalez, he only made it to high a, now granted he did flourish at Low A batting 348 but once he got to High A he did struggle a bit batted 215 over 43 games but collectively 298 across all levels last year 2022 batted 321 287 the year before so he does show some promise still very young only 20 years old so he's right about the the age range where you want to see for High A so I'm going to give it a C minus for the Seattle Mariners only because they're making a push to win it all, obviously with all the trades they've been making. So I think they clearly are win now Gabriel Gonzalez doesn't do anything for them this year, next year, maybe two, three years down the road. We also talk, they have Lazaro Montez, they have Colt Emerson, they've got a lot of prospects that can help their batting situation in the future. So I think they could afford to get rid of them. And if I'm the Seattle Mariners and I have to give up one of them, I probably would have gave up Gabriel Gonzalez over the other ones. I'm not giving up Cole Young, not giving up Harry Ford, Colt Emerson. No film Selston. No, um, Lazaro Montez, obviously you and I are so bullish on him. So if you're going to give up one of those, that's probably the guy I give. Maybe Tyler Locklear would have been the other. So if that's what it takes to get it done, I guess that's what it takes. All right, let's move on. And the Los Angeles Dodgers, Walker Bueller expects to be out for the beginning of the season, most likely all of March into April, and he might not ramp up until May. And the report coming out of Roto World was that the Dodgers plan to use him for the postseason. And if he starts at the beginning of the season, he clearly wouldn't have enough innings left in him to help them out in the postseason. So my initial reaction is Emmett Sheehan, you're back in baby. (laughs) I was out on him. Um, I think it was last week we were talking about after James Paxson signed, but I'm starting to get a sense that these Dodgers are going to mix and play some of these rotational pieces being James Paxson, Walker Bueller, um, Bobby Miller, Emmett Sheehan. They're all going to have innings caps. I don't, see any of them eclipsing 150, especially with Yamamoto. There's rumors of them going to a six man rotation. So I, I like Emmett Sheehan. He's back. I want to say he's breakout territory for me, but he's rostered bull now. So for a home league for $6, I'm probably going to be keeping him now, but there's a lot to be said between now and our draft, but I want to hear your thoughts on this map.
1: You know, this is always the concern for the Dodgers. We, we did this song and dance with Dustin May. We did it with Tony Gonsolin. Now we're doing it with Emmett Sheehan. This just continues, right? And it just reminds me a lot of the time of when you have a really nice running back taken out of college that enters into a depth chart with a solidified role ahead of them. And you're like, okay, well, you know, I, I like the buy opportunity, but, you know, what's actually going to be the result? And then ultimately they get stuck behind them all year and you wasted a 11th round pick and you know you lose the league because you have no wide re- wide receiver depth. Um, this situation for the Dodgers has been something after Dustin May burned me and after Tony Gonsolin burned me, I just said I'm good on. Now, I think Sheehan is a little different. It's a different profile than May, right? When you look at what May was presenting to us at the league level, it was a lower ERA, a good whip, wasn't really converting on strikeouts and then ultimately that torque and that velocity that he was throwing with came back with severe arm problems. Emmett does have good velocity, but I also can see him having a good career as a starting pitcher, but you're going to have to be patient with him in dynasty leagues. I think you hold with this news. I kind of said that last week, you know, I thought the, the starts would be there. I said, I think eight to 12 starts throughout the season. I think we've probably bumped up to 12 to 15 now. Um, and we could see 20 to 25 if we can continue to see injuries in this rotation, I think the really interesting news that we don't have on the rundown that I'm going to bring up here is that Roki Sasaki signed a one-year deal with his club in Japan. There are reports that he is making side agreements to get to Major League Baseball in 2025. There's very hard and very um, it's very difficult right now to prove that because these would be under-the-counter deals, but he would be subject to the same international pool that Otani signed with. Um, but it is different rules than Otani because you cannot outright pay a club. So the uh, the team that signs him cannot pay his Japanese club any more than the agreed upon tax thresholds based off his signing. But I am almost positive Roki Sasaki will also be a dodger. And that changes things as well. You could be talking about Sasaki, Otani, and Yamamoto atop that rotation with Bobby Miller being the number four, and you know Bueller presumably gone after this season. That fifth role then would presumably go to Sheehan. But again, we've talked about Paxton. You know, We've talked about a lot of the other opportunities or the other players that have opportunities with that rotation. Sheehan has the best bet, um, but I am completely out on Walker Buehler this year.
0: Yeah, I'm not touching him, especially at where his value is in dynasty and redraft leagues. I think you got to pay close to a top 100 pick, if not top 150. And for what he's going to provide, I'm just not in. Maybe if he drops to, I mean, with this news and if it's confirmed that he's out for March and April, he will clearly fall to that 200 to 250 range. And I might be back in on him. But until that happens, we'll just have to wait and see. Let's be talking about a a June return. If he's out March and April, May could be a
1: ramp up. I mean, there's a lot of question marks. This is the last thing you want to hear, right? We've Mm -hmm. seen this in recent years, you know, wrap this up quick, but like anyone that goes into the season, Rodan sale, like, oh, they'll be back in May. It's like, yeah, okay. They will. It Mm -hmm. always ends up being June, July or never. And I just won't take those risks.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. <clears throat> all right, let's move on to some more news. And we briefly talked about the Mariners. Now there's rumors that Dylan Cease might be packaged up to go to the Mariners in a deal that might include Bryce Miller or Brian Wu, along with some other pieces. Unconfirmed at this time, but it is all speculation at this time. But let's say Dylan Cease does go to the Mariners and one of Brian Wu or Bryce Miller. Take your pick. Goes back to the Chicago White Sox. What's your thoughts on that type of a trade?
1: I think it's a good deal. You also changed my opinion a little bit on the Gabriel Gonzalez trade because when you actually start listing off these names and looking at the Mariners organizational depth chart, you're right. They have a lot of minor league assets. Now, to what I was frustrated by, I would have much rather included Gabriel Gonzalez with Brian Wu if it means that I can keep Bryce Miller. I prefer Miller over Wu slightly, but still by a decent margin, actually, because you have a plus fastball and you can develop other pitches. Brian Wu, I think will be a good, solid serviceable start in the major leagues. And if that and Gabriel Gonzalez gets you Dylan Cease, now you're talking about an absolutely dominating rotation. But the question mark is who is attached with one of these pitchers? Because we love a lot of these players in this system. And I don't want to be getting rid of any of those guys. I like it a lot for the Mariners if they don't have to give up one of the names we really like. They can package together some of the younger guys. Um, Even a Ty Pete, who I like a lot, but is raw and is going to take time. You have so much shortstop depth. You could move him and cease in that rotation, like I said, would be amazing. For the White Sox, you absolutely have to get one of those position players that you listed off earlier because you need to start really rebuilding the core foundation of their depth chart. And right now they have a lot of holes and they do not have a lot of upside.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's move on to some Detroit Tigers news. So the first one is Colt Keith signs a extension six years, $28.6 million with club options for 2030, 31 and 32. And then following this extension, uh, Colt Keith is expected to be the opening day second baseman now. And following that news, Jace Young has been reported moving from second base to third base. So Matt, what is your initial reactions on Colt Keith signing the extension? Do you expect him to rise up the ranks now that he is expected to be opening day? And what are your thoughts on Jace Young moving over to third base? Does that tip the needle for you as far as prospect pedigree for him? Yeah,
1: we kind of spoke on this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the AFL and those positional swaps that were happening. If you look at um, Colt Heath's overall profile, I just said it again, Richie. You know, like these are—I'm uh, never going to nail these names. Colt Keith's overall profile, we really start to see the track record of that shoulder injury that we spoke on again a few weeks ago, and I think that move to second base is to really prolong his health and, and keep that bat in the lineup. And that's really what they're doing with this uh, this signing, this long-term extension—is they see him as a hitter and a serviceable second baseman. And I think as any good organization would do, they want to bring him up and have that development, that final stage of development, be with Spencer Torkelson, be with Riley Green, Kerry Carpenter, interject him into this lineup. And I think we see Jace Young probably mid-season or possibly may, once the defense has really been solidified at third base, I would imagine he's working on it all offseason. The question for Jace is going to be, does that cut into that offensive production we saw last year because he is so focused on the the defensive aspect, but this was a great signing. I think overall for fantasy managers and a lot of my leagues, I have him. I think, you know, when I was forecasting what my um, opening day lineups were going to look like Colt wasn't in the equation. I had just assumed he'd probably be up two, three, four weeks after the start of the year. And now I'm really able to plug and play. I think the biggest thing for fantasy uh, managers is simply the fact that he is going to be at second base. We can automatically now jump him in our second base tiers quite significantly. And in Dynasty, I would have to argue he probably enters the top five for me. And the excitement level, if he can stay at second base throughout his career, I think is a better version of Dan Uglook in comparison. Much better contact hitter.
0: Yeah, and he does have above average power, but he does play um, at Detroit, one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks. So I think him being at second base, I mean, there's a power outage at that position. So he's going to be one of the more premier power options for that second base position. That'll wrap up our news and notes for right now. And I think we'll go right into our breakouts for 2024. Now, we've got a lot of them, a lot of guys we like, so we're going to start with hitters and we're going to go over Matt's um, favorite batch here. We'll start off with his catchers, going into some hitters, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that. So, Matt, you your first two is Ralphie Velasquez and Alfredo Deneau. Tell the listeners what you like um, and what you see from them in 2024.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to just preface this. Um, as we work through this offseason, we're trying to do things a little differently. You know, we obviously love fantasy baseball and we follow a lot of the same content that you probably do as well. And we don't want to throw all of the same stuff at you. That's kind of why we've deviated away from tiers. We may get back to that, but we have enough tier content out there right now. And honestly, we're all the same there's very little deviation between what we're doing and, you know, what the other individuals in the content creation space are doing. So when we're doing breakouts this week and next week, we're going to try and give you names that we haven't died, uh, dove too deep on throughout the last couple of weeks, or maybe even this season. We talked about Victor Scott a lot. We talked about him last week. We talked about uh, Lazaro Montez. Um, You know, anyone that we've given a good profile on, we're just going to leave off the table for these breakouts. So, these are going to be guys that either me and you have texted back and forth about, or I've you know tossed on watch lists, or I've gotten really excited about, um, in the case of Sal Stewart, who I'll talk about in a minute here. But that leads into Ralphie Velazquez. and I honestly think I was overwhelmed with the amount of talent in this year's Major League Player Draft, because Velazquez kind of slipped under the radar for me. I didn't take a look at the swing profile. I didn't take a look at the, t- the tape overall. And I just assumed, okay, catcher first base from Huntington Beach High School. You know, the draft profile itself when he was taken wasn't that exciting. They weren't excited about it. And then the offseason hits, you know, downtime is here. I'm searching every, you know, crevice in the entire industry to find something. And I really start to warm up to Ralphie. And at this point, I think I'm a little overboard. You know, I've said to you, I think he could be entering uh, Basalo territory next year with an absolute explosion or an Xavier Isaac territory. He's another name that we will not be talking about. At least I will not be today. Um, But Velasquez, very limited sample size, only had 23 at-bats after his selection uh, in the first round, 23rd overall this year, hit two home runs in those 23 at-bats, hit 348, but overall his grades are pretty impressive. 55 hit, 60 power. That's kind of where it ends. He does have a 60 arm, but field is 45, run is 30. I'm projecting him to be first base DH, the guardians are going to give him a chance to develop at catcher that that did come out recently that they are going to try and give him that track record uh, and set him along that path we'll see Uh, but i absolutely love him i think in regards to price point he's very available uh those of you doing first year player drafts i would absolutely target him early second round if you can i was able to get him second round you know mid-tier but i did have the trade-up to get those picks I think we're talking about returning value come next year where you could really move him as again a guy that has extreme helium. All right, we're back. Again, technical difficulties. Bear with us. Uh we're 30, so uh you know, it takes us a little longer. Moving on to Alfredo Dino. If you don't notice, Richie has changed camera angles. I like that angle better. Um Alfredo Dino, we've talked about him all year. We really 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 like the profile. Walks almost as much as he strikes out. 38 walks this year to 41 strikeouts in the DSL. Six home runs. Again, limited sample because he was in the DSL. This was one of the highest signing uh, international players last posting season. And we are huge fans. Getting him as many leagues as we can. There is some concern. This does look like a DH profile. Maybe a first base profile. When you actually look at the grades. Kind of like Ralphie there is a lot of question of can he stay behind the dish? Unlike Ralphie, there isn't a whole lot holding him back in the Reds organization. Robert Stevenson's very nice, but by the time DeNoe is ready, I would imagine he has moved on to another club or is just ready for a shared playing time role. And when you look at Ralphie, you obviously have both Naylor brothers at catcher as well as first base. So Deneau is on this list because we love him, but also because I do see a playing time even though you have the CESs in the Reds organization at first and DH, I still think he could catch. So those are the two names I really like. I would be trying to buy them in as many leagues as possible. I would start small. Last week, I kind of talked about moving a John Means for pieces similar to this, probably uh, a little bit higher in regards to perceived value. But you could be throwing out mid-tier relievers in hold leagues. You could be throwing out guys like Paul Seewald. um, Pieces that you may not need that may seem... Like they're just throwing in a name like Ralphie or Deneau. Of course, Ralphie will have a little bit higher price tag because he is in this year's first year player drafts.
0: Yeah, the other thing with Alfredo Deneau, you mentioned he was one of the highest signings. He came in at fourth overall as ranked just overall for international prospects in this loaded class of ethan sells felman who we haven't even talked about joe andre vargas who had a great um start to his season as well so a loaded class international class that is and uh he came in at number four but i would argue he would have been number one in the past two three classes so definitely somebody to monitor let's move on now to two more and this is somebody who granted you uh put him on my radar, but that's Kevin Hidalgo, shortstop for the Rockies. Comes in at 6'2", 166 pounds, 18 years old, was at the DSL, was great. And then another one, Walker Jenkins, my boy. He's a a fan favorite of mine. He was the fifth overall draft pick uh, for the Minnesota Twins coming in at 6'3", 210. He is 18 and made it all the way up to high A. So, what do you like on Kevin Hidalgo and Walker Jenkins here?
1: Yeah, I'll start with Hidalgo. I don't. I don't think these profiles could be um, more more apart because, as we've seen and as we've, as we've talked about with Walker Jenkins, you know the hype is real. The hype is real helium at this point for Jenkins and his value, the perception that he has in overall prospect and and dynasty communities. Hidalgo, almost no one knows about him. No one's talking about him, at least. And I have talked with you about him for a number of months now because we have utilized certain tracking data that kind of fits our approach to scouting a little bit differently. And Hidalgo's big knock is, okay, there was almost no data on him coming into the Rockies organization and into the 2023 DSL season. He doesn't have any scouting grades by Baseball America. I didn't find any on MILB.com. He's very, very unknown. But when you look at the numbers, we we need to start paying attention. 197 at-bats at the DSL this season. He also was promoted very briefly. So this is split between two levels. 12 home runs, 14 stolen bases, batted 310 with a 406 on base percentage, 50 strikeouts to 26 walks. So there is the concern of the strikeouts. We've talked about Jeffrey Rosa as well before. Similar concerns, similar power production for both of those players. I'm very, very curious to see how that transition goes as he gets to A-ball Do we start to see the same profile or can he really concentrate and focus on his approach at the plate once he's kind of uh, subjected to better coaching? But Hidalgo for me is absolutely worth a flyer in a lot of your drafts right now. I I think when you're talking about free agency and dynasty leagues, he's a guy that should be one of your top priorities or your mid-tier priorities, depending on league depth. If he's the last guy on your roster and your depth chart, this is a guy that could absolutely skyrocket you know, we like to talk about who is the next Jackson Churio or who is the next, um, junior common I don't have the same upside for Hidalgo just because we're not seeing the same kind of contact numbers, but I still think there is a lot of value. And this could be a player that does enter a top 100 in 2026. And we could always see a
0: skyrocket. The last thing you forgot to mention with Hidalgo is he won the DSL MVP. Mm So, we're talking about these DSL guys. He won the MVP for him. So just puts a little bit of sugar on top for you. Well,
1: and there was a lot of guys that we've seen through draft season that people like and are drafting and drafting aggressively. And as I've looked through some of those profiles, strikeouts and swing and miss is a problem for a lot of guys. That's why we highlight the guys that can walk almost an equal amount to striking out. So if we are really, really excited about Morel for the Texas Rangers, why are we not just as excited about Hidalgo? I think they both had 50 strikeouts. Either way, they're the same problem in place. So I'm allowing myself to be excited about Hidalgo. Rosa, I'm a little more concerned about with the swing and miss, but you know, I like him as well. Like I said, if these are the last two guys on your depth chart, that's exactly what I want. I don't want guys that have been signed in 2021 that have done absolutely nothing like Christian Hernandez for the Cubs on my team. I say his name because I cut him for one of these players, but Walker Jenkins moving (laughs) on. We love Walker Jenkins, uh, taking him in as many first rounds of minor league drafts as I can this year, targeting him at either three or five in a lot of first year player drafts. For me, it's a really hard decision because we have Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, Walker Jenkins, all at that three position. The problem is if you do not take Jenkins there, he may be gone at four. So if you really love Jenkins like we do, it makes things a little difficult. The problem is in Roto and in category, Jenkins is not going to be a stolen base um, contributor like like a Cruz will be. So that's an immediate knock on him. But I think when we're looking at profiles, he's been comp to Larry Walker. I absolutely see where that comp is coming from. Now, Jenkins will not be playing in Corey's field for part of his career but I can see a 300 hitter. I can see an absolute peak production of 40 home runs, 100, 120 RBIs, peak production. This is a player that we will all be looking for in our our, our major league lineups for Dynasty, but this is the time you need to get him because I think what we're going to see in 2024 is a point where he explodes and he's unacquirable. And I think right now, if you put together a big enough package, you can still get him.
0: Yeah, the, I'll, the only thing I'll push back on is I still think he is going to chip in a little bit of speed for you. I think he can get to 20 stolen bases, maybe 25 at his peak. He had six stolen bases in the in his pro debut. He also gets a 55-grade um, speed for MLB. So that will be my only pushback is I don't think he is a non-factor in the stolen base department, but I don't think he's going to produce as much as like a Dylan Cruz or a, what Wyatt Langford upside is going to give you. So that would be my only... Um, push back now, on you but let's I'm gonna move push on. back real quick oh. too because I, I
1: actually i agree with you okay. but just for reference dineau also had six stolen bases
0: but that's i, I listen
1: i know i i understand I, I just for stolen bases i have a hard time until we hit honestly until they hit the majors right victor scott we see the speed and i think double AA, a triple a is a better representation Um, I also think when these kids get drafted, they have the green light every single time because the organization is trying to decide, can they be stolen base threats or not? Are they an asset there? Um, So I'm leaning more your direction, but I think this season will really show us what that profile is. If he can get to 20, 30 stolen bases, I'm on board with you. But 2024, a full season of play will show us what that profile really is.
0: Yeah, that's fair. All right. You've got three more on your list. We'll start off by just going over the next one. And that is Sale Stewart, uh, third baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. He comes in at number seven on MLB Pipeline. And I mean, if I'm being honest, this is somebody you've been hyping up to me all off season. Somebody you're targeting late, telling me in drafts that we're in together, I need to grab this guy. Otherwise, you're grabbing him. I and mean, it's just way too early for me. So... <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the edge on this one. You are way more bullish on sales, Stewart than I am willing to admit. But he did have a great second season going from low A to high A. He batted 275, and he improved as he moved up levels, batted 269 at low A, then moved up to 291, batting at high A. He did chip in some home runs with 12 overall. And you got to love the walk-to-strikeout rate. 84 walks, 77 strikeouts. And he's still not a non-factor in stolen bases, put in 15. But tell the listeners, why are you so excited about Sal Stewart? Yeah, and you mentioned it there. It is the walks to
1: strikeouts. 84 walks to 77 strikeouts is the profile that we absolutely dream on. From an offensive profile perspective, I see Sal Stewart lining up with a Nolan Arenado. Now, the problem is they're on counter-ends of the defensive spectrum. Nolan Arenado, a perennial gold glove winner, a platinum gold glove winner. Sal Stewart can be a liability at third base, from all of the reports from Scouting that I can find. Now, they drafted him to be a contact first approach player because in the past they have drafted power first and it hasn't worked very well for them. Sal Stewart has been able to develop that power with his contact approach. When you overall look at the profile, 6'3, 210, you have the projectability for more power. 12 home runs this season was really exciting. I'd expect to see 20 in 2024. That average at 275 is nice, but what was really encouraging for me is the uptick after the promotion to high A this past year. That shows me that he is ready for the next opportunity. And then you talked about the walks, the strikeouts. That profile will lead to continued success for Sal Stewart. I think this is a plug-and-play third baseman in Dynasty Leagues for six to 10 years, a guy that you can rely on every single season. In that ballpark, we're very excited about uh, any player that plays in Cincinnati. Again, I will only hit the problem is where does he play? We will worry about that down the road.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You hit it right on the head. Let's move on to the next breakout, and that is Luke Adams, first baseman with the Milwaukee Brewers. Comes in at 6'4", 210, 19 years old, single A, Gets a 40-grade hit tool, 55 power, 40 speed, and 339 at-bats. Had 12 home runs. Um, Is this correct? No, it is not correct.
1: It's supposed to be 38. I have absolutely no idea how ninety got in there.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) That would be
1: impressive. 38
0: stolen bases. Had a, a 245 batting average with a 410 OBP. 83 walks, 107 strikeouts. So outside of the 90 stolen bases, Matt, what do you like about Luke Adams?
1: Yeah, I, I like that there's speed and power in this profile. Now, Milwaukee's organizational, especially minor league development mentality is come as you are. We will try and fine tune things, but we are not going to make an overemphasis on changing who you are. Um, if you have more interest in hearing about that, the call up did a fantastic podcast talking to the lead of. Brewer's personal development, uh, player development. I may have miskewed the overall terminology, but it was a great interview. And and that individual talks about the organizational philosophy. And Luke Adams is brought up because of his very interesting swing approach. When you pull up the tape on him, which I would encourage you to do if you are listening today, he's got a really interesting swing. And you would say to yourself, oh my gosh, he's either playing softball or that's going to have to change. But we've seen good progress from him just upon entering the minor league system. The power's there with 12 home runs. The stolen base is there. The on-base percentage is really encouraging as well at 410. And he may not have the same numbers Sal Stewart has, but 83 walks to 107 strikeouts is pretty incredible. At age 19, this will be his age 20 season coming up. I think we're talking about a profile that could absolutely explode. The guy I like to comp him to is Kobe Mayo. I think Kobe Mayo is a better player, but he's also a little bit further along the line on development. I think Luke Adams, when you, you know, I think he could do similar things to Kobe Mayo in that Milwaukee organization. The only concern I have is a 245 average. It is the swing mechanics, but the way the Brewers are treating him is, you know, let's try and let things play out um, based off what your natural movements are. In that same interview, they talked, uh, talked about Joey Weimer, who also had a very interesting swing path, his mechanics while swinging. He has uh, told the brewers that he has made some adjustments this offseason and he's very excited to come to spring training. Of course, that follows the notion that, you know, I'm in the best shape of my life, which is the overall notion when people come to spring training. But that is an interesting side note with the Joey Weimer production that we uh, were a little bit underwhelmed
0: with in 2023. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Luke Adams does um, in this next season. I'm curious to see how he progresses. I'm not quite as bullish on him as you are, but I do like the next person you have on your breakouts, and he would be on mine as well. So we will save that for another day, my breakouts, that is. But let's talk about Robert Callas. Of The Colorado Rockies outfielder. He was in this last year's international class comes in at 24th overall ranked on this year's international class 15th overall on the Colorado Rockies, but he had an outstanding debut. He batted 325 with seven home runs 22 walks to 43 strikeouts had six stolen bases. This is all over 43 games, but did bat 325 He gets great grades, 50 or 55 across the board, only 18.62, 202. He can definitely grow into his frame. And honestly, when I look at his profile and what he did, it's very early, but I want to say it reminds me of Fernando Tatis, and that's way too early to say that. But what do you think on Robert Callas? I think we may have mentioned it
1: last episode, but the Rockies head scout head a uh, player development did win the award in the scouting community for best scout or organizational development. Um, and we've talked about these Rockies names all off season. We started off with Kevin Hidalgo just a little bit ago. And it's incredible to me that they continue to produce this kind of success with these international players. We talked about Yankeel Fernandez as well. And, Kalaz is just the next name in that list. And I had referenced it earlier with Hidalgo. You know, you talk about the 50 strikeouts. Well, Kalas had 43. So from a, uh, an excitement perspective, these are both names doing very similar things. And I think they're guys that we're going to be even more excited about as they continue to grow because this organization has proven the ability to develop these players now, you know, Jan Kiel had issues once he got to double A. This is one of the first names that we've seen from their interne- uh, international development where there's a, a big stall out. So will we continue to see success at A ball and high A from Claus and Hidalgo? This season will be a really big test. But again, another name that I would add to the, the bottom half of my development tier in Dynasty Leagues right now, because it could turn into a name, like you said, Fernando Tatis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm all in on Robert Callas. I think I got him at least in one or two of our dynasty leagues. I don't remember, but I for sure have him in one. And uh, there's three more names you have on your list, Matt. I missed them, so apologies. But I'm going to fly through them quickly. Elias Medina, L.A. Dodgers, um, 5'10", shortstop at the DSL. Feldman Selston. Um, Seattle Mariners. He was out all last year with a great two hamstring, I believe, but he gets great reviews, came in at number two behind only Ethan Solis in the international rankings. And then George Lombard, I don't know if I said that right, a junior of the New York Yankees. So let me know what you think on Elias Medina, Feldman Selston, and George Lombard. So I have
1: these three names listed, uh, each for their own individual purpose. Elias Medina, Again, we've talked about Dodgers prospects in the DSL a lot this offseason. We've talked about the pedigree that the Dodgers usually pair up with their prospects and prospect development. Medina is a guy that a lot of people aren't hyping right now like they are for Vargas, who you mentioned much earlier in the show. I think Medina is a guy that you could probably get as a toss in or just target, again, the mid-tier player that you just have no use for and just kind of keep him as a flyer. I think it's better to keep him now than it is to ultimately miss out on a guy like Medina. Um, but a name there that from international perspectives may not have as much excitement as a Felden Celston uh, Selston. We again, working on my pronunciation. So, you know, I think I'm getting a little better. You have helped me. Uh, great to a hamstring strain. You know, that knocked him out all of 2023. We had a lot of excitement coming into 2023 about him and um, what Ethan Solace would do, who would be better. Well, we didn't get to see Selston, really perform on the field. I think this year that there's the opportunity for him to explode. I really hope we get the opportunity to see him at, uh, lay, at low A-ball so we can really kind of gauge how his production is based off some of the other players now coming into that age 19 season. And then George Lombard Jr. for the Yankees organization, first-round pick in this year's draft. A lot of people in the industry are starting to talk about him, starting to really pump him up. I don't know enough about him but I know when people really start to target players, the community jumps on board for him. They're talking about George Springer comps. I think it's more or less because of the ability, um, not the ability, but his likeness. He looks like George Springer. And I think we may have spoken on him a little bit last week, but he's a guy much like Ralphie where, you know, it might be worth having conversations with managers that may have drafted him. Or if you're in your first year player draft, really targeting him in the second round because we could have a lot of progression quickly for him with that 6-3 frame. I think the power will start very quickly, and when it does start, he's going to be a name that's also going to be harder to acquire.
0: Yeah, especially um, being on a Yankees team, there's always hype regarding Yankees players. I will say Feldman Selston, I do like his power projection. Um, I like his hit tool. I think the big thing between Ethan Salas and Feldman Selston was Ethan Salas more known for his defensive skills versus Selston for his offensive skills. So as far as the fantasy goes, Selston's probably the higher ceiling player. So that will definitely be interesting to see how that plays out coming in 2024. Not looking
1: forward to right. saying
0: his name over the next two years, because
1: we're going to be saying it a lot. I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. Uh, what here. did you, you utilized, uh, what technique did you use? Um, to in our rundown to help me with this is it uh there's a certain terminology on how you split up the words so that i could oh um clearly this is not an educational I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> you know podcast since we there there is a term for it but anyways um felman selston I can't think it, i'm of just it. gonna have issues with it if i can't even say colt keith's name correctly i'm screwed um and this next player we're gonna talk about in a minute as you intro it is also probably gonna cause me trouble over the next 15 years
0: yeah. So on our last podcast, we talked about two college bats that are going to, I think more than that, three or four, I think we actually covered in last last podcast, but we didn't even touch on the biggest college bat in this next class. And that's Nick Kurtz, first baseman, excuse me, at Wake Forest. Um, huge power projections, the best we've seen since, I don't know, Spencer Torkelson, Chris Bryant, Um, One of the best power bats to come out of college in the last five, 10 years that I'm aware of. Um, Matt, I know you're deeply in love with him. He had a a great last two years, freshman and sophomore year. Let's throw out the numbers for you from last year, 2023 in 56 games. He batted 353 with a 1311 OPS. So like average is like what? 700, 800? Probably in college, if you're getting drafted, you need at least a thousand, 1, eleven hundred. This guy had thirteen, eleven. I mean, that's just absurd. He had 24 home runs in only 56 games. That's just unreal. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, outside of the power, Matt, what do you like Nick Hertz and uh, where do you see him being drafted in first year? I mean, obviously, he's going to go first overall in first year player drafts, but. Where do you see Nick Kurtz getting drafted in redraft leagues once he reaches the majors?
1: Yeah, Nick Kurtz is a guy that you know we kind of started to really go into the profile as this offseason kicked off because we had a open universe draft. And when we're looking at open universe drafts, we want to target some of the guys from the 2024 first year player draft right off the bat, have them on our rosters and stash them. And when we looked over the profiles, Uh, Nick Kurtz was, you know, jumping off the page with the power production from the six, five stature. It's everything you want to see in a first baseman. The only problem for me was I had been burned so badly by Spencer Torkelson. I am not nearly as concerned with Kurtz's on the field production as I was with Torkelson because I'm able to look at the numbers a little bit differently. I'm deeper involved in the dynasty world now. And for Nick Kurtz, the biggest number that absolutely jumps off the page for me is 90th percentile exit velocity of 109.2. That is just incredible. Barrel percentage at 31.2. Both of those numbers would be absolutely elite at the major league level. Now it is using a metal bat. So we're going to have to scale them back just a little bit, but. His numbers are jumping off the page for me. A 14.6% chase rate and a zone contact of 83.8. These numbers are just screaming, take him number one overall. Now, the big thing with Kurtz is we have other mashers in this class. I like him the most. The difference though, we talked about the two second base shortstop options last week in Bazanna and Weatherholt, different profiles offer a team different skill sets. So I think when we're talking about the Guardians, they're probably going to go with one of those other players over Kurtz. I think you and I would take Kurtz. We would be happy to have a first base all-star for the next eight years, lock him in. Organizationally, things change. If Kurtz can go to yeah. the Reds, we might be talking about a guy that can hit 50 home runs. I would be comfortable saying he will be Matt Olson if not better. And that's high and lofty expectations, but again, 109.2, 90th percentile exit velocity. He hit 120 at a certain point last season. That's, it's truly remarkable. Um, and kudos to the Wake Forest overall program for having these advanced stats. We've tried to pull up some of the advanced stats for other players. I had to go to the school website in the school stats page to pull this up. Um, a few other articles were referencing it. But I would absolutely love to see this tracking data um, mechanically installed at all college parks because it would really start to give me the ability and the prospect world the ability to really evaluate players on a different level at the college ranks.
0: Yeah, I got to, as you were going through that and listening to what you said about Roki Sasaki uh, earlier in this podcast, I have a question. If you're in a 2025 first year player draft and you have the first overall pick, And let's say Roki Sasaki is posted. Are you taking Nick Kurtz or are you taking Roki Sasaki?
1: All right, I'll do you one better. Let's put (laughs) Sasaki, Kurtz, Langford, Cruz, Skeens, Yamamoto into the same draft. Okay? Now let's just say pretend they're all part of 2025 first-year player draft. I am taking Nick Kurtz number one overall. I am taking Roki Sasaki, number two overall. Then I am going with Wyatt Lankford. Then I am going Yamamoto and so on and so forth. Cruz and, you know, Skeens and Jenkins and blah, 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 blah. I am that in on Nick Kurtz. And you saw it in our, you know, our open universe draft. I actually think I took Roki first, but that was about a month and a half, two months ago. Sasaki's fantastic, but Kurtz at Matt Olsen's production, as I said, how do you pass that up?
0: Yeah. No, I should have taken Nick Kurtz when uh, you gave me the opportunity, but I had already drafted Nate Lowe and I had Abby Melick Ortiz and some other first baseman. So I was already three deep. And you were like, you got to take him here. Otherwise, I'm grabbing him. And I was just like, "Ah, I need to fill other spots first. But
1: you might be able to pick up his alter ego, Nick Kroontz. I heard that guy's really talented as well. (laughs) I heard he might be too. (laughs) If if listeners, you don't realize that's. What I was calling Nick Kurtz last week was uh, Nick Kroontz and uh, where the salad reference at the end of our episode came from. So Nick Kroontz, absolutely love him. Um, This is my favorite player
0: from this class. Weatherholt is close, but totally different profile. Where where would you put Weatherholt if we were combining 2024 and 2025 first-year player drafts? Honestly, I'd put him over Wyatt Langford.
1: I I like what Langford did this year. I think we are really getting uh, ahead of ourselves, and I have shares of him now. I you know spent first or second round picks and drafts on him. There's just this really weird feeling to me that he's going to be a above league average and very good. But I think JJ Weatherholt can be top one or two at his position if he goes to second. I think he can be a top five shortstop because of the power, speed, average. I will take that over a top twenty even a top 10 outfielder. I just don't think we ever see Langford fall in that Soto r- range that we were drafting in this year where you're like, well, I guess I'll take Soto. You know, mm-hmm. like um or even the Jordan Alvarez range. I think that might be even a better name where you're like Jordan Alvarez, Wyatt Langford. It's clearly Jordan Alvarez. Um but I don't mm-hmm. know that Langford will ever hit that stage. I think it's like JJ Weatherhold, Jordan Alvarez. Uh JJ Weatherhold.
0: Yeah. That's a lot of projection to put out there, um and we still have a whole another year of college season to be played, but I just wanted to pick up where would you where would you put both more, of them? Where would you put um Kurtz
1: and Weatherholden if we ran this you know
0: it's hard for me because I wanna see what Nick Kurtz does in another year, but Nick Kurtz, White Langford are very close to me um and I might give Langford like a one a Kurds one okay. b just Eight. for the simple fact of the speed but also the position okay outfield is so it's such a barren wasteland right now. First base, in my opinion, is top heavy with elite players, but then there's also a mid tier of you know. The Tristan Casas, Spencer Torkelsons, Josh Naylor's that I'm comfortable with being my first baseman in either redraft or dynasty, but in outfield outside that top 20, 25, I don't like any of those outfielders or I don't feel comfortable with them as being my number one or two. So I give him the edge, but it's, it's close. It's so close. It's like splitting hairs because I think Langford has the edge slightly and with speed and maybe with the batting average but Kurtz clearly has the power so it's like what do you want yep. here um well and we need we need to hard.
1: see this is a big thing with Langford too i want to see the exit velocities we know uh Nick Kurtz can smash the ball to the moon like that's not a problem we know that Langford has home run power the difference is you know much like to the Matt Olson profile i continue to reference here like Matt Olson's exit velo is our awesome they're off the charts it's why he's been able to elevate his batting average you know adding mechanical changes um which if you don't know look into it it's fantastic the small adjustment he made but i, I that's why i have nick uh, kurtz so much higher than Langford, at least in my own mind also though that's a great representation of how you and i evaluate prospects i get super aggressive about a certain profile and i'll die on that profile you tend to look more at, okay, well, the value is this year outfield is going to be shallow for X amount of years. I will also put that in, into the equation. I don't do that. I fall in love with the profile. It's maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. Um, where would you put Roki in this, this same exercise we're doing?
0: He's ahead of Yamamoto for me. It's coming down to...
1: Remember, if he's a Dodger, it's a six-man I, rotation. So put that into your equation.
0: I think he's yeah. number three behind Langford and Kurtz yeah. for me.
1: I think I think I agree with your rankings. I think for me too, it probably is Kurtz. For me, it's
0: Kurtz, Weatherhold, Langford, Rokey. Uh Oh, you have Weatherhold ahead of yeah. Langford too. Oh yeah, you, yeah. you just said that. Duh. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. with weather, I think with Weatherhold for me, I think. I have to put Weatherholt behind Dylan Cruz, Good. but ahead of Paul Skeens and ahead of Walker Jenkins. I like that for the simple fact of Weatherholt is pretty much doing what Dylan Cruz did last year, but Dylan Cruz got all think the think about if
1: you could take Dylan Cruz and put him at second base. You know what I mean? That's that's the kicker for me. Yeah, that's it's weird because we just talked about but that, the,
0: but the kicker is the kicker is the opposite way for me. You take yeah. JJ Weatherholt and put him in the outfield.
1: I would rather I would rather have him at second base because you, we have to project that Weatherholt will be up in twenty twenty six. We're lucky, you know. Like maybe he has this Matt Shaw, Wyatt Langford. If, if he has a pro yeah. debut
0: like Wyatt Langford did, he will be up in twenty twenty
1: six. Even well, he could even be up in twenty twenty five, right? I mean, we're talking about him being drafted this year. We're talking about Langford possibly making the opening day roster, and presumably the guardians take weatherholt who the hell are they going to have stop him you know um or get in his way it
0: depends if they're competing or not i mean the rangers won a world series obviously they're competing yeah. again so it makes sense for Lankford to be. Up, i mean there's a if there's, there's a lot to go into
1: this my only point was in even in 2025 outfield is going to be a different landscape right like we're gonna have
0: well, right? But it's because of all these prospects we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get them now, especially if we're talking dynasty, okay. if you don't get them now, you're really stuck with honey, you're still gonna be by, You're gonna be behind the eight ball. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Good so point. like. <laughs> all right. We we're just we're, we could go. We, yeah, we could here. go
1: about this for hours. I I'm really excited to look back in five years because when we come, when we think about coming into this, this past season, you know, seeing Walker Jenkins or excuse me, uh, white Lankford and Dylan Cruz, it was like, boom, we got two more right before them. It was Spencer Torkelson. And then Chris Bryant, like really exciting college bats. Like we have two drafts back to back with guys that are significantly better than what we've seen over the last 10 years. I mean, Chris Bryant's college profile was incredible, but he played at San Diego state or San Diego, one of the two. Like, it wasn't a great conference. We've got Wake Forest. We've got LSU. You know, we've got some really, really, really big schools. Vanderbilt. Oregon State. Florida. And um, Georgia. So, like, awesome draft classes. In five years, when we look back on this, I'm really intrigued to see who was right and wrong. And I'm really intrigued to see where Yamamoto and Sasaki fit into the same conversation.
0: Yeah. I like your segue there. You mentioned Georgia. So, let's talk about one of the Georgia players, and that's Charlie Condon. He is an outfielder, first baseman for them. He comes in at age 20, born April 14th, 6'6", 211. He gets pretty much 60-grade hit, 60-grade power, not so great on the run, coming at 40, and you actually just grabbed him in our Universal Dynasty draft. There was a, almost like a, I don't want to say secondary draft, but it was a waiver wire where you could fill your last 10 positions and I missed the cut, but you did not. And you grabbed a lot of guys. Charlie Condone was one of them. Tell us what you like about it. Well, him. first and foremost, I love the name that I'm sure he was called in middle school. Um, and then, you know, we can't
1: mention it here because this is a family friendly show, but there's definitely something that the last name Condone can allude to. Um, and it can blow up like oh, a balloon. Hey. And, you know, his draft profile has as well. This was a kid in 2022 that was a preferred walk on. We're talking about a guy now in the same vein as Nick Kurtz. And listen, we like Kurtz a lot more. But this is going to be a redshirt sophomore coming off an absolute incredible season at Georgia. We're talking about similar stature to Kurtz at 6'6". Absolutely love that. Um, I had his overall statistics here somewhere, and they seem to have been deleted. So whoopsie on my part. But big-time power. I got yeah. I got him. Okay. I just
0: pulled them up, Matt. So in twenty twenty-three in fifty-six games, he batted three eighty-six. We talked about Kurtz. He batted, I think it was like three fifty okay. something. He had, uh Condone had an OPS of twelve eighty-four. Hmm. We talked about Kurtz having an A 1311. Um, this was over fifty-six games. He had twenty-five home runs. I don't remember how many Kurtz had. I want to say it was like twenty-six or something. I wanna say it could be wrong. Um Walk to strikeout rate thirty three walks forty five so far he's sweeping the board. Okay, okay, so you're taking Condon <laughs> over Kurtz. Got it.
1: Maybe, maybe after this <laughs> college season, yeah.
0: I mean, it could be. I mean, maybe this is maybe he's the Wyatt Langford yeah. of this year. Where great, great, comparison. Kurtz gets Kurtz gets all the the prize uh, or not prize praise uh, like Dylan Cruz did, and maybe Condon is the one that. um Quietly out produces him.
1: I I, um, I watched his swing today. It was the first time I had actually gone in and, and done anything. I prefer Kurtz's swing. We will see how that plays out. That doesn't mean anything. I'm not a professional scout. I played non-competitive baseball most of my life with a bunch of people that sucked at it. So like, who am I to judge? But. I really do like swing mechanics and Kurtz's swing mechanics to me seem more effortless, but Condone is, I mean, he's younger and his numbers outpaced Kurtz.
0: Yeah. What more can you say? Let's move on now to another uh, player who has the nickname Jack Taney. <laughs> um, and that is Jack Caglione because he is a hitter and he is also a pitcher. Honestly, I'm going to be bullish here, and I say I like him better as a pitcher rather than a hitter. I think a lot of the scouts out there are going to say he's more of a hitter over a pitcher, but I'll give you the MLB grades here. As a hitter, he gets a 45-hit tool. There's some swing and miss strikeout concerns, but the power is legit. 65-grade, that's the exact same power grade that Nick Kurtz got. Not going to run much. Got a 40-grade. Um He gets a 60-grade arm, obviously, because he's a pitcher. So let's move on to those pitching grades. He has a 70-grade fastball, a 50-grade slider, 50-grade cutter, 50-grade changeup. His control is not to be desired. It comes in at a 40-grade, and there are some walk concerns. A... Don't have a stats up, Matt, so why don't you tell me what you like about Jack Caglione while I pull up what he did in college over the last few years? Yeah,
1: my apologies. I was screenshotting all of our statistics and all of these grades and profiles last night, and I think I got overwhelmed and deleted them without pasting them. Great job, Matt. Caglione, um, coming into the 2023 season, I was actually more familiar with him than I was with Cruz and Lankford. Because he had such loud tools. You mentioned the grades, the 65 power, the 70 fastball. He hits home runs and he throws 100 miles an hour, right? That's that's what we like to see in today's day and age because we want to be entertained. The problem is, I agree with you. I think he is a better pitcher than a hitter at the pro level as a major league baseball player. Now, I think a pro team can develop that 45 hit into a 50, 55, think that power, when we talked about exit velocities, I do not have the track uh, data in front of us to show the difference in him and Kurtz, but I think it's right around the same. I mean, you have immense raw power. You have violent power from Caglione. And I would really love to see a team draft him and put him on a development path of either first base, right field, and closer. This is what I wanted the Dodgers to do with Otani. I think it extends the life of that pitching profile. And for Keg Leone, it leads right into his best skill set, which is throwing hard, leaning on that slider, change up at a 50, cutter at a 50, who knows if they develop. But if you can get a 30 to 40 home run bat, a 250 hitter and 35 saves a season, that's an absolute steal. If we just look at what Josh Hader got paid, about $20 million a year, roughly. I mean, it's less, but we'll say $20 million a year. And then we pair that with, say, a Reese Hoskins, who just signed with Milwaukee. I think that's a great comparison to Keglion. Keglion, probably a little bit more raw power. $16, $17 million a year, if I'm correct, for that signing with Milwaukee. We're talking about $37 million in the version of a player that you are drafting and keeping with your organization for six to seven years. Once they hit the major leagues, that's immense value on return. That is the only way I would actually draft Keglione over Kurtz um, is because if I, if I think as a scout, we can do this, you're talking about massive financial value. Yeah, I don't, I don't, the ERA last year was. I mean, not they tried good. it with it was not good.
0: But yeah, Brendan Brendan McKay was an experiment. He didn't work out as he a two way player, good, but...
1: though, I mean, that's not fair. That okay, is so, so not
0: let's fair. go over. Okay, Jack Taney, or Jack Cayley um statistics from twenty twenty three last year with Florida. As a hitter in 71 games, he batted 323 within 1126 OPS. He had 33 home runs. 33. We talked about Kurtz and Condone and their power and 25 home runs. Keg Leone hit 33. He struck out 58 times to 17 walks, so doesn't have the greatest eye. Only four stolen bases, so not much in the speed department. As a pitcher, As a pitcher, 74 and two-thirds innings, he gave up 55 walks, 55, 87 strikeouts though, 87 strikeouts and 74 and two-thirds, but that walk rate is bad. Um, Did have a 4-3-4 ERA, but I have a feeling those walks contributed a lot to it, a 1-4-2 whip, and here I am talking about how he might be a better pitcher than a hitter, and I guess I didn't realize how bad his walks were until I actually looked at the overall numbers and who knows, maybe he cuts down on it. It was his first year as a pitcher in 2022. There's only statistics as him as a hitter. So he did not pitch. So this was his first year pitching. Um, Maybe he's still got to develop out. We have the pleasure of being able to witness a another college season out of him before. Finding out where Caglione should go and what his true value is. Well, so, and I does that change your opinion of no, him after reading those statistics? Because he had Tommy John surgery in 2022.
1: So, oh I was yeah, so he's had that. Tommy John already. I'm I'm really hoping that the control issues were because he was working his way back from Tommy John, and at college, it's not like the pros where it's like, hey, we're really gonna baby you and we're really gonna slow this development down. It's like, hey, do you want? To be a first round pick, or do you want to go work at Northwestern
0: Mutual? You choose.
1: If you want to be a pick, get on the field. Um, seriously though, right? Like and Yeah,
0: no, and, I hear yeah. you. It's just funny how the the perspectives change depending on if you're college yeah, or pros.
1: And I'm I'm hoping that's where the numbers lie. Now, when you actually read them off, what it screamed to me was Rick and Keel. Those of you that are not familiar with Rick and Keel, go look him up. He was a highly touted pitching prospect with also prodigious power that the Cardinals decided to make a starting pitcher. There's a very epic video out there of him, um, very like Randy Johnson-esque hitting the bird, but like he threw it like 15 feet over the batter's head and like 10 feet outside. And he just lost it mentally ended up coming back as an outfielder and making the major league team and being a useful player years later. Incredible athlete. I'm concerned Caglione might be stuck between the same two paths where it's like, hey, I'm not fantastic as a starter, but that's why I think he should be a closer. If you make him a closer, you can make him a closer DH. You can make him a closer first baseman. Like There's so much more value there, but hey, who am I?
0: Yeah. I think the tough thing with being a DH and a closer is the mindset of not knowing whether you're closing. You could be in the eighth inning as a DH and you hit a game tying or game. Great. Now I have to
1: go out and pitch.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, okay. It's the, let's say it's the bottom of the eighth, you know, you're down a run or you're tied. Now you just crank a home run and now you have the lead and you're like, Oh shit, I gotta go warm up because I'm about to close this game. So, how do I go to the bullpen to to warm up? I think that's the only issue with being a closer slash DH. But I agree, but could you I mean, imagine? Maybe you just maybe you just, stop, uh, maybe you just stop. Maybe you just stop DHing in the seventh or eighth. But could you, you imagine how
1: epic it would be? Like, you're warming up in the bullpen, your team's batting, okay, like single to right field, and like you're at home and the music comes on, you get to run out of the the bullpen, like with your bat and your helmet in your hand. And like, that's your entrance. That would be pretty sick. I mean, it's never been done before. Right. I mean, that, that would be epic.
0: And then you strike yeah. out. I just think, lo- <laughs> I think, logi- <laughs> I, think <laughs> I think logistically it wouldn't work out, but listen, if we what, ran a team, I, I,
1: every time a player went to, to, went to bat, I would just be like, okay, go to the bullpen first. That's how we're sending you out. Like, we're just going to, this is the new
0: normal. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, well, those were the three college names we had for you. Uh, I think we'll touch on a few more. What? What do you want to do? This every episode, just touch on a few more as we go. I yeah, like I,
1: this. I don't think we'll hit on on high school guys. I just there's it's it's too no, hard. It's too yeah, hard. It's too hard. Um, you know, we'll keep going through.
0: Unless you want to go back to some high school ba- baseball games, like back when we were. I in mean, high school. listen,
1: it it's just too hard. You know, I've got a buddy that I do a podcast with, great friend that. Went to school with um, Garrett Cole, it, you know, tells electric stories of how great he was. We're not scouts; the scouts know what to no. look for. You know, they they are paid to do this. We are really just breaking down statistics, we're breaking down mechanics, and seeing what we like and what has shown us from past representations of success what may lead to success. There's no way we'll ever be able to nail the high school um, scouting process, so I, I think we just avoid it.
0: Yeah, um, I completely agree. All right, that wraps up our show. Next time we will go over more prospect breakouts that we expect to see in 2024 and maybe touch on a few more college players that we expect to be in the 2024 MLB draft. Until then, we will talk to you guys later.